Do you ever think about why God led a particular person to write a particular book of the Bible? So let me give you an example. We have the book of Acts. It would appear that God led Luke to write the book of Acts in order that we might better understand the growth of the early church. The book of 1 Corinthians, Paul likely wrote in order to address issues of division in the church. We have the minor prophets, and you can see in individual minor prophets how God led the minor prophets to confront Israel with issues of sin. So let's go to the beginning. What about the book of Genesis? What led Moses, what led God to have Moses write the book of Genesis? So that's what I've been thinking about over the past couple of weeks. And what occurred to me is Moses likely wrote the book of Genesis as Israel is leaving Egypt in the Exodus. And Israel is heading to the promised land with the goal, with the purpose in mind of inheriting this land. So that's what's going on in the background of the book of Genesis. Inheritance. I want to look at Leviticus 25, 23 for you, and this is going to be separate from what we read, but Leviticus 25, 23 says, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. So the inheritance Israel received was and remained God's. But Israel was given the task of managing what was God's. And that is the context under which Moses writes Genesis, is that these people are going to inherit something, but it's not theirs to buy and sell and trade and get rid of. It's theirs to manage. So we're going to look at Genesis 1.1, and we're going to read about management. So let's turn in our Bibles, and in the honor of writing Scripture, will you all please stand with me? We're going to read Genesis 1-1, and then we're going to skip down to verse 26, because there's a lot going on there, and we just don't have time to go through all those details. But let's start with Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now jumping down, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole world and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of creation, and that you have given us a responsibility. And as we open your word, I pray that you would help us to better understand 
that together we steward what is yours. Help us to be stewards. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So in Genesis 1, what I want you to pay attention to, I want, I want you to see is that we are stewards. Steward is somewhat of a, a fancy word, a theological word for manager. We are managing what God had made. And so we're going to sort of take an approach of looking at this as a job description. Have any of you recently maybe looked on the internet for a job? Some of you I know have. Some of you have not. But usually when you look at the job description, you see three things. And we're going to actually see these three things today. You see the employer listed, who it is that you're going to work for. That's something you want to know before you apply for a job, right? Who you're going to work for. You'll see responsibilities, a list of what the actual job is going to entail. And then often you'll see some sort of a statement on how you are going to be evaluated. So as we look in Genesis 1, what I want you to pay attention to today is the employer, who it is that's in charge, the responsibilities, what we are called to do, and we're going to talk about how we are evaluated. So Genesis 1, it's an interesting chapter. Genesis 1.1 is 1.1. But what we're going to focus on, where we're going to put our energy, is the notion that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, it's it all. Because God created it all. God owns and operates it all. Because he alone is the creator. So Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created. The word for create here is only ever used in the Bible of God. Mankind never in the Bible creates. Mankind makes things. So there are two different words used here for essentially the construction, what we think of as a creative act. God is the only person in the Bible who ever creates. I actually didn't believe this when I first read it, so I went looking, and it's true. God is the only person that ever creates. Mankind makes. There's a distinction there. Mankind is only capable of taking what God has already created and using it. God alone is creator. So God created it. God owns it. But there's something more. It's not just that God is the owner because he created it. God is also the operator. And I'll explain that in just a minute, a little more on what I mean by operator. But in order to get there that God is the operator, I want you to turn to Colossians, which is a long way from Genesis. But Colossians chapter 1, written by the Apostle Paul, contains what I often call the Christ hymn. It is a section of scripture that elevates Christ, that definitively states that Christ is God. So that's Colossians 1, 15 through 23, and it's the Christ hymn, an elevation of Christ. But in verse 17 is one of the most profound statements, I think, when it pertains to creation. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, that's Christ, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In Christ, all of creation holds together. 
if you don't mind me just nerding out for just a minute, because I come from a, a more of a, a scientific background, we have what's called the strong atomic force, which we can't really explain, other than that we know that uh, electrons are spinning around the atoms at near the speed of light, and they're not zooming off. And we don't really have a good explanation for why that force exists that holds them in place. I actually think we might, and I think it might be called Colossians 117. God does it. God operates our universe. He holds it together. He is not just the owner, he is the operator. So this got me to thinking. When I was in college, I needed a job to pay for college, so I got a job working at an automotive shop. And uh, this automotive shop was interesting because the husband had died and the wife had inherited the shop. And so she really didn't know anything about cars, didn't know anything about running a business, really didn't have any idea what this was other than she owned it. So she hired a manager, and uh, I got hired on at this shop. And what I remember is that the manager would sit in the office and read magazines, and we would sometimes work. And I emphasize sometimes because nobody was really paying attention to anything that was going on. And that was our job. You know, we, we sometimes worked on cars. We messed around a lot, um, played a lot of games out in the shop, you know, things like that. After a couple of years, though, this woman sold the shop to what I would call an owner-operator. The person who bought the shop, he didn't just own it, he operated it. He came in and worked. He still had a manager, but now the manager was no longer allowed to sit and read magazines. The manager was expected to work. The employees were expected to work because it wasn't just an owner who was somewhere off in the distance. It was an owner-operator who was intimately involved in the shop. Some of you I know own businesses and you work in your business. There's a big difference between an owner and an owner-operator. An owner-operator has different concerns. God is an owner-operator. He holds it all together. He expects us. He has high standards for us because he's the owner-operator. So I want to give you an action step, something that you can do. We need to take stock, and we need to recognize that everything belongs to God. So I want you to do something for me. I want you to look down at your feet, and you see your shoes. And you probably call those my shoes. And there's nothing wrong with that, but do you recognize that those are God's shoes, actually? Or the piece of metal that you've got parked out in the lot? That's God's. Some of it's plastic. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, the place that you're going to go later and call home is God's. You see, God owns it all. It's okay that you say it's yours. In fact, I would do this at the auto shop. Eventually, I worked my way up to be a manager of the shop, and I would talk to customers, and I would say things like, do you want me to put in my synthetic oil or my conventional oil? I knew it wasn't mine but I was taking responsibility for it. My question is, my action step is, will you take stock and will you at least recognize that it all belongs to God? We're going to jump forward now to Genesis 1.26 because Genesis 1.26 actually highlights our responsibilities. So remember, this is written for people coming into the land 
inheriting the land. And God talks about making mankind in Genesis 1.26. He says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. The idea of image and likeness. This is another piece that theologians have written volumes about. But I don't want us to get too stuck in the details that we miss what is right there. God made us in his image. The word for image actually can refer to a statue or an idol. God made us in his image. Or his likeness. Likeness means model. Um, something that is used to describe it. The idea here is that God made us to represent him to his creation. We are God's representatives. We are very much God's managers. He created us with the idea that we represent his interests, his desires, his will into creation. That's the job that he gave to Adam the job he gave to both Adam and Eve. It's actually the job they failed at. If we were to jump ahead to Genesis 2, what is it that Adam and Eve do? They fail to do what God told them to do. God created us to be his managers. In fact, that's not just me saying it. Look a little bit ahead. I just read, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and then we get the so that, Pastor Aaron is not the only one who likes the so that. We get the so that, and look at what it is. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals. The reason God made us in his image is so that we could exercise management, stewardship over his creation. So God's purpose in creating man in his image is stewardship. God's purpose is stewardship. He created us to be image bearers. That's, that's challenging. So we were talking about responsibilities. That was our second main point. Our responsibilities involve God's purpose for us, which is to bear his image. I want to keep going, though, because... When you've got a job description that describes your responsibilities, it often gives the purpose. This person's purpose is to do this. And then it talks about sort of the scope or a description. And so what we see here is the description in verse 28. Verse 28 talks about mankind's rule. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. It's a bigger job than just one person can do. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God's description of man's rule in his creation is one of dominion, to rule. Our responsibility is to rule over earth. That means we have a responsibility to care for it, to subdue it, to make sure that it is doing what it's supposed to do, and to rule it, which is to bear responsibility for it. So we have both the power, the authority to be stewards, and the responsibility 
to be stewards. Do you understand that those two things are different? Power and responsibility are, are slightly different. Power means that you actually have been given the authority to do it. Responsibility means that you'll answer for what happens. And we have both of those, power and responsibility. The other component in a job description is what I call extent. What is the extent of your power and responsibility? And what I notice in verses 29 through 30, and even including verse 28, is that all means all. I see the word all and the word every showing up all over this verse. We have a responsibility over all of the earth. Verse 29 says, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it was so. What is our action step? What is the thing that we need to do? We need to accept the responsibility of bearing God's image. We have a responsibility. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying here, okay? But I want you to think for a second about that responsibility. That means that ecologically, we have a responsibility for this earth. It means that medically, we have a responsibility for preserving life. Human life is valuable to God. We have a responsibility for it. God gave that to us. We have a responsibility for using the resources that God put in the earth well. We have a responsibility for using our intellect well. We have a responsibility for using our time well. God gave us responsibility. And he holds us accountable to that. So we talked about our employer, God. We've talked about our responsibilities. Let's look at our evaluation. God does set us up for an evaluation. And in that evaluation, God expects us to steward well. I told you before that Adam and Eve failed. We know that. In Genesis 2, we see that Adam and Eve failed. God provided a perfect steward in the person of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't get us off the hook. We are still expected to steward. And what I want you to see and we're going to, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. We're not going to go into a lot of detail in Matthew 25 because I'm going to save this for April. So we will study this passage in much more detail in April. But in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14 and running through verse 28, we have the parable of the talents or the bags of gold, depending on how your Bible wants to translate that. We have a parable that Jesus gave that exactly gives the expectation, the evaluation of our stewardship. And so I'm going to summarize some things in here for you. Again, we're going to study this in detail in about three weeks. But I want you to notice what we have. A certain master goes on a trip and leaves his resources to some servants. 
okay? First thing, did he give the resources to the servants in perpetuity to do whatever they wanted to do with it? No. He gave it to them to steward. Okay? He gives these to the servants to steward, three of them. Two of the stewards use the resources of the master well. And if you look at verse 21, we see his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The result of good stewardship is reward, is actually more responsibility, is opportunity. God gives us the expectation that good management brings opportunity. But poor management does not. And that's the, the third steward. The third steward takes what he had and simply puts it away, puts it off to the side, does not use it. Let's look at verse 30. This verse to me is actually a terrifying verse. Throw the worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Poor management brings loss. So what does this mean for us? I have an action step. We need to dig deep. We need to look inside ourselves, look at our life, and we need to ask ourselves a really hard question. Where might I steward better? Where are areas of my life where I am not representing God, where I am not using the resources that God has given me well? It could be any number of things. It might be time. It might be that we need to grow in the way we're using our time. It might be our intellect. It might be that God has given you an amazing mind, and he has, and you need to use it for God. It might be in your money that God has blessed you financially, and God has blessed every single person in this room financially. And you need to use that for God. But I want you to take a second and dig deep. And ask, God, where would you have me steward better? Where would you have me grow? Because he has given us responsibility. What is it that he wants you to do? By the time I had risen up to be a manager of the shop, we had a new owner, and the owner was an owner-operator. And the, the notion of reading magazines was gone in the office. Because the owner would come in and he would ask, how's our inventory doing? When was the last time we took inventory? Have you had all of the guys mop up the shop recently? Um, have you run any of the financial reports for me? He had things for me to do to fill the time. 
because he was an owner-operator. He was operating the business. The thing that I've really been thinking about, I mentioned in Genesis, the purpose of Genesis was for the people getting an inheritance. And the word inheritance has been sitting on the back of my mind, bugging me just a little bit. Because I don't think we understand what inheritance really means. When I use the word inheritance, I don't know about you, but I think money in a checking account that one day gets put in my name. Or something that I convert to money in a checking account. That tends to be what I think of inheritance. That's not what inheritance meant to Israel. It was land that was never theirs to start with. It was always and would always remain God's. And so I got to thinking, what is the parallel to inheritance? When I think of Israel inheriting the land and being charged with managing it. And I think maybe heirloom is actually a better translation. Because it is something that we are given that the idea is you take care of and you pass on. And that's what Israel was charged with, with the land. was something they were given to take care of and pass on. And then I got to thinking about heirloom. Because one day, I'm going to die, unless the rapture happens first. And my nieces and nephews are probably going to have a big garage sale. Right? <laughs> Let's face it. How do I keep track of, how do I help them understand the things that I want them to put in the garage sale versus the things that I want them to hold on to? And I'll tell you, the things that are run down and dusty and dirty are probably going to wind up in the garage sale. The things that I have taken care of and that I've talked to them a lot about are the things that hopefully they don't put in the garage sale. And that got me thinking about the building. You see... We hope, we pray, that the next generation of youth in our church grow up to love God and love the church and to value this and to keep it. We don't want them to throw religion in the garage sale when we're gone. How do we do that? One, we teach them about it. But two, we show them how valuable and precious it is by keeping it nice. And that got me really thinking about our capital campaign. One of the reasons why we need to steward well this building is because others are watching. And they're asking, is this what matters to them? Or is it the new car in the parking lot that matters most? It's been on my mind this week. This is kind of an heirloom that we need to pass on to the next generation. And if we don't want them to sell it in the garage sale, we need to show them that we value it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you chose to trust us as your managers. You didn't need to. You could do it. But yet, you chose to give us the responsibility. And I'm convinced it's because you want to reward us greatly, just as you spoke in the parable of rewarding the servants who used what you gave them well. You want to reward us. You want us to see how powerful you are as you work through us. 
So I pray that we would manage well, that we would steward well, knowing that you're the owner-operator. You're going to make it work, but you want us involved. I pray for our capital campaign, Lord. We are kicking off an incredible faith step. We need your work because we can't do this ourselves but we can let you work through us. I pray for stewardship in general. We have time, we have money, we have resources. But I'm guessing that each one of us could steward better. I'm guessing that each one of us have areas of our life that we need to turn over to you and say, I'm sorry that I've been holding this for myself. It's yours. Help me to steward it better. Give us the strength to commit that to you. In Jesus' name, amen.